We're so thankful that you're here. Uh, welcome to Hope Denver once again. My name is Scott Lasher. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we're so glad that you've joined us. Tonight is uh, an exciting night because we're in the middle of the Advent season. Uh, this is season of anticipation towards Christmas Day. And as a church, we're getting excited for Christmas at Hope here in a few weeks, uh, if you haven't heard about that. Um, but tonight is exciting because we're going to remain in this series of teachings that we've been in uh, really for the last couple of months. It's a series of teachings we've called Culture, the Way of Jesus. And as we get started as a new church, uh, we've asked the question, how can we model the culture of our church after the way in which Jesus lived? How can we as a church be known for the way that Jesus operated? And so we've been examining how Jesus lived in a variety of stories about him from the Bible. We've examined how Jesus lived through this sense of encountering God, uh, belonging in community, and now we're taking a deeper look at how Jesus served others. As a church, we believe that God has placed a vision in our hearts of being a church that serves others well. So tonight, I want to take a look at a story about how Jesus served. Um, I want to look at a story from his life, uh, present to you a few arguments to chew on, and then I really want to get practical tonight. I want to I give you some practical steps in how we can up our serving others game, if you will. Uh, in this culture that we're saturated in today that really seems to promote thinking about myself and my standing and how I feel uh, over thinking of others and how I can help them. So let's take a look at this story. This, this story is found in the Gospel of Mark. Mark is the second book in the New Testament, if you're uh, not familiar with the Bible. Uh, and uh, this, uh, is gonna be, this well, passage of scripture is found in the fifth chapter. Um, if you uh, just flip into the New Testament and, and get to that second book, you'll find Mark there, chapter 5. It'll be on the screens for you as well. Uh, and it says this, uh, starting in verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Lord, would you speak through me tonight? Lord, I step aside and ask that you would be speaking through me, Lord. Let it not be my words. Let it not be my own ideas. Let what you have to say tonight come forth without hindrance. 
It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I have a confession to make. I have a hard time with people. <laughs> people wear me out. <laughs> um, with their egos and their sensitivity and their weird eating habits. Um, chew with your mouth closed. I, I have a hard time talking to people, actually. <laughs> I, I have a hard time wanting to spend too much time with, with people. It's actually so bad that my wife, uh, she likes to tell people I regularly hang out with that they should feel proud that they made it onto my list of people that I actually like. Um, I've told some of you about this before, but uh, if you have not heard it before, it's about this point that you're probably starting to wonder, how in the world did you decide you wanted to become a pastor? Um, and I, can, I, I tell you that I'm a walking testimony that God can do miracles. <laughs> um, so, of course, this is a little bit of fun and games, but if I'm being real with you, then this is somewhat funny because it's true. <laughs> um, I, I want to make the argument tonight, though, that my issues with people uh, speak much more about me and where I am than it does about people. <laughs> uh, it speaks to the idea that the picture of being a servant that Jesus paints for us in this story that we just read about this woman and really countless others uh, in the Bible where Jesus serves others uh, it's counterintuitive to this me-first culture that we're saturated in. Uh, and I would argue that it's counterintuitive to our very nature as humans living on this side of heaven. And I think if we're honest with ourselves tonight, when we talk about the idea of serving others, we're all a little bit terrified of that. Because it's our human flesh, it's our human nature to think of ourselves more often than we think of others. Uh, and it's, it's the culture in which we're saturated in that is a reflection of, of really who we are at our core. And that is, unfortunately, we are all at some level very selfish. And, that it, and what Jesus shows us is that in his way of living, in the way that he sees the world, it's not about a race to see how much status that I can attain, how much wealth I can attain, or how much power that I can attain, but it's really a race to see how much I can give away. I want to speak to you tonight from the subject, an interruption. An interruption. Uh, if you're tracking with me so far, though, and my hypothesis is true, that selfishness is at the heart of why serving others is so counterintuitive to us, it begs the question then, how did we become this way? How did we become so selfish? and individualistic. Now that may be a whole other sermon than we have time for tonight, but I think for our purposes tonight we can boil it down to one question that's found in the first book of the Bible. It's Genesis, and, and it's in chapter 3. This is the son of Adam and Eve speaking here. His name is Cain, and this happens after he killed his brother Abel, and God asked him where Abel was. And Cain responded with a question that I think haunts humanity to this day. He asks, am I my brother's keeper? You hear what's happened to the mutual interdependence that God designed us all to live in, the servant mindset that's necessary for us to really be the image of God in the world. In two chapters, <laughs> we are now no longer our brother's keeper. We've put a label of them on our brothers. And that fragmentation and this disintegration of humanity 
at the communal level, it, it really governs so much of what happens in our current cultural moment. It's the root of so much strife and struggle and polarization that we feel in our culture today. That question, am I my brother's keeper? So it's not surprising then that when Jesus shows up on the scene to redeem and to restore all things, and by the way, that's what Jesus is doing, <laughs> in case you didn't know, he's restoring all things and everyone to himself, even today, this is his mission. He, this is when he gives us his mission statement when he shows up on the scene, and it's found in Luke chapter 4. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. See, Jesus' primary mission then first is about repairing our separation from God. But immediately following, he is about solving our separation from one another. His mission is about going to those who we have labeled them or others and redeeming and restoring our mutual dependence on one another. It stands to reason then that if we as people who wish to follow after Jesus really go with him on this mission, then we cannot help but find ourselves serving the needs of someone else at some point. So then we come to this story about a woman with the issue of blood. I love this text. Uh, Jesus is on his way to uh, Jairus' daughter. Um, Jairus is somebody. It, it makes good sense Jesus would go to see his daughter. Jairus is, is somebody at this point in time. He's a person of high esteem in this culture. Uh, Jesus does not resist him, though, because he is somebody. What Jesus is showing us here is the antithesis of how we operate in our current cultural moment. Right now, uh, if you are somebody noteworthy, some people will glorify you. Uh, if you are somebody, some people may demonize you. But Jesus doesn't do any of this. Jesus says, I will serve you whether you are someone of means or not. I respond on the basis of the need, not on the basis of the means. He goes to get Jesus, Jairus does, and he says, I need Jesus. And Jesus is focused on getting to his house quickly to get to his daughter, never noticing that this God has this woman on the side of the road that will interrupt the process. If I could, I would give you this woman's name. I, I could give you Jairus' name. Whenever a name is mentioned in the Bible, automatically you know that that person is probably pretty significant. This woman has no name. And what this means is that she had no significance, according to the cultural tradition at this point in history that this is written. Her name could have been Connie, or Sally, or Mary, or Shaniqua. Uh, the, the truth is we don't know her name. Because she's become to be known by her problem. She is the woman with the issue of blood. There are times in life when the problem that you may be facing becomes so big that it swallows up your identity. Have you ever had something so consume you that you lost sight of who you are? The woman has an issue that has engrossed her. The funny thing, though, is this can work the other way, too. Sometimes we can have so much success and so much acclaim that our identity becomes wrapped up in what we do and what we accomplish and what we can produce. Our identity gets wrapped up in ourselves and our title and how much money we make or how many followers we have. Sometimes when we have an issue like this woman and we pray about that issue, it's all we can think about or pray about. 
When we have success and when we accomplish things, it, it consumes our thoughts and it, it's all we can think about. And after a while, we lose sight of who he is and who we are. And the only thing that is big to you is your problem or your production. And then you start talking more about your problem and your production. You really begin to praise it. <laughs> and you really then begin to praise yourself. And whatever you praise will be magnified in your life. See, I believe problems and success in our life are, if not handled with care, breeding grounds for selfishness. They can become an excuse for closing ourselves off. When you follow Jesus around, it doesn't mean that you won't have problems. <laughs> and it surely means that you will have success. But when it swallows up the mission for which you are following him around, and you become so focused on yourself, and you forget about anyone else. Are you staying with me? Does this, is this making sense? So this woman has been sick for 12 long years. <laughs> when you have a problem for a month, you, you can kind of wing it. You know, uh, for six months, you can get back reasonably quickly. Uh, when you have a problem for a year, that's pretty bad. But 12 years, this woman has had the same problem for 12 long years. When the problem first came on, she probably had relationships. She probably had a family. She probably had means. But this problem took all those things away. She probably had money. She probably had a spouse. Relationships with doctors who were trying to help her. But it had taken those things too. See, she's losing blood. She's losing finances. She's losing relationships. The law at this point in time said that a woman with an issue could not even have a relationship. The law said wherever she sat was unclean. Whoever she touched was unclean. Her children couldn't hug her. Her husband couldn't hug her. And her family had to move out. See, when you have an issue like this, it, it separates you from all that you know. She's living in a total state of isolation, and she's down to her very last. She's hit rock bottom. And this is where Jesus comes along. And I think there are a few things, very practical observations of which we can learn from Jesus in this story about how to take the focus off ourselves and put it on to others. And the first is this. Number one, truly serving others requires that I am willing to be interrupted. Serving others is not something that you schedule. <laughs> serving others is not a one-time event that happens and you can check the box and be done. This is something I'm not very good at. <laughs> I have my agenda. I have things I want to do or not do. When something comes along, that means I have to change my plans. <laughs> that means I have to go and do something that wasn't already on my calendar. These questions sound a lot like, am I my brother's keeper, don't they? If we're honest with ourselves, we are all selfish this way with our time sometimes. Notice even the disciples, the people walking with Jesus. In the text, Jesus asks, who touched me? And their response is, look at this crowd around you. <laughs> you expect us to know who touched you? We don't have time to figure this out. We have to be somewhere. We have our own agenda and things to do. Undoubtedly important things. 
But look what it says that Jesus did. Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. But Jesus kept looking. Jesus was okay with being interrupted to speak life into this woman. We had a, a pretty crazy weekend a few weekends ago. Um, my littlest son, Oliver, he's two. Uh, he, after church, he, he was not able to breathe very well. And we came to find that he had a situation where he had croup, pretty, pretty uh, bad case of croup. So that night we had to take him to the ER because he, was, he wasn't able to really just get a full breath. And, and we found out that it was, it was a reasonably bad case of croup. And Kelsey took him initially, and I stayed back with our older two children, Judah and Annabelle. And uh, when it came clear that he was going to need to stay for a little bit, I, I wanted to join them um, at the hospital. Uh, so I called my father-in-law, um, and he's not here tonight. I, I wish he was, but uh, I woke him from his sleep. <laughs> uh, he was just getting ready to go to bed. And without hesitation, uh, he was at my house to stay with the other kids so that I could go and meet up with Oliver and Kelsey. He, he allowed himself to be interrupted. Um, my mom, she, she is here. She, she did this too. <laughs> uh, she took a call at midnight <laughs> when she was likely ready to go to bed. And she was willing to help with whatever we needed. And she was willing to be interrupted as well. And you might say, well, Scott, that's your family. That's what a family would do. And I would say in my experience, I don't know that many families operate that way. <laughs> I wonder how different our families would look if we took the approach of being willing to be interrupted for our spouse, and for our kids, and for our loved ones. I wonder how much better our families might be. The point is this, Jesus, he was okay with the idea that he was on his way to go and do something that might not get done. Jesus was never too busy to stop and to serve, and we can follow that example. Number two is this, opportunities to serve exist all around me. Opportunities to serve exist all around me. Uh, serving others does not have to be all that grand. <laughs> you can serve the people that are right around you. This is what we mean when we talk about your sphere of influence here at Hope Denver. Notice that Jesus was on his way to someone. Uh, he was going somewhere to help someone in need, uh, and that's a special thing. Uh, that he was doing. All of that is important. Uh, we should go and serve people we don't know and that we don't have in our circle. Uh, Jesus talked a lot about this when he said, go and make disciples, not just in Judea and Samaria, but go to the ends of the earth to make disciples. And this, of course, is a way of serving others that is important and crucial, and I'm not trying to diminish this in, in that type of service in any way. But I think sometimes the church creates a bubble around serving others as something that only happens when we go and do something at the rescue mission, <laughs> or it's only when we go and do something uh, over there in, in, in another country uh, for people that you don't know. And what I want to suggest is, and what I think Jesus is showing us here, is the opportunity exists to serve others all around us, all around us. Uh, they are there with who you go to work with. Uh, they're there with who your kids go to school with. Uh, they're there with who you go to school with. They're, they're there with your small group here at Hope Denver. They're there with your family and with your friends. The reality is that Jesus was on his way, and 
there was a need right in his immediate vicinity. And that exists for all of us. That exists for all of us. Now, we can't help everyone. <laughs> we can't get to everyone who has a need all over our city. You can't, and I can't. But what I can do is serve the people right around me. And you can serve the people right around you. And eventually, as you serve those people, and I serve these people, maybe they start serving the people right around them. And as your sphere of influence expands, and as their sphere of influence expands, eventually we take the city. Do you see how that happens? When you serve the people you know, and I serve the people I know, eventually we all touch more people. And more people come to know this idea of, of serving others better. This idea of serving others, these, these opportunities all around you, this can be as simple as bringing a meal to a sick friend, <laughs> as the pastoral team led by Pastor Kelsey did for us the night after Oliver was sick. She organized a dinner for us. And I can't tell you how much that made us feel loved <laughs> because she was interrupted, but she still took the time to organize it for us. It can be that simple. Um, it doesn't take much. This can be watching someone else's kids when they need it. This can be taking care of someone's dog when they need it. This can be helping shovel your neighbor's walks when it snows. Uh, this could be crying with someone when they have someone in their family who's sick. Ultimately, it is helping someone see that they are not alone. Serving is not just serving at the ends of the earth. Those things are needed and those things are necessary, but serving can also be about saying, I'm right here, right now, to serve you. That's what Jesus did, and I think we can learn from that. Number three is, serving others requires being present. Serving others is all about being present. Notice how Jesus takes time to hear this woman. It says in the text, she told him the whole truth. The Bible doesn't recount what she said, but I bet she told him all about the 12 long years. I bet she told him all about everything that she lost. I bet she told him all about how she knew that what she was doing was a violation of the law and that it was wrong. And I have no doubts that Jesus listened to all of it. This is the way that the kingdom of God comes, by being present, by being where you are when you are there, <laughs> by being with who you are with when you are with them. Now, <laughs> this is something I'm really bad at. <laughs> this is really hard. I don't know if you've noticed this, that it's really hard. Being present where you are is the single hardest place that you can possibly be. <laughs> Even as we sit here, the possibility exists for me to think about what I have to do tomorrow and the conversation that I had earlier. And your body stays more or less stable, but you're in and out of it moment by moment, right? Presence is the primary way, though, and it's the challenging way to learn to listen. Uh, James, who's Jesus' little brother, uh, he said it best when he says in the book of James in the Bible, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Did you ever notice that the best people to talk to are the ones that actually listen to you? <laughs> My wife does this better than just about anybody I know. The way that she can carry a conversation is really a thing of beauty. Uh, and do you know why? <laughs> 
It's because she asks meaningful questions of how the other person in the conversation is actually doing instead of just talking about herself all the time. Now, if both sides of the relationship and the conversation would practice this, then both sides would feel heard. Both sides would feel loved. So what we can learn here is to listen twice as much as you speak. Listen to accept. Listen to, to know. Listen to be known. Listen with honoring curiosity. David Osberger is a professor and a theologian, and, and I love what he said. He said, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are indistinguishable. Have you ever been listened to that profoundly? <laughs> nothing is more humanizing than being with someone who has nothing better to do than to hear your story. Jesus models this so well. In fact, he lived for 30 years before he really said anything. <laughs> he listened a lot before he spoke. And even though he was God and he could have just done whatever he wanted, he listened for a long time. And then it is out of the fullness of his life that his words actually carry weight and authority. We can learn from that. So, okay, Scott, this sounds good. These are things that uh, I want to do. I want to slow down. I want to be able to be interrupted. I want to have eyes to see the needs around me. I want to be more present. That all sounds great. But if you're like me, these are great practical steps. These are things to try. But what if these things don't come naturally? They surely don't come naturally to me. <laughs> I think this is what God spoke to me and is helping me to learn and to see, and I think it's what he wanted me to tell you tonight. The primary mark of a servant, of one who serves others, when you boil it all down, when you strip away all of what our current cultural moment distracts us from, and when you strip away all of this talk about selfishness and thinking about yourself, when you strip away all the paradigms of what you know service to be and what you, how those things may have manifested themselves in your life, when you take all of that away and you just look at Jesus and how and why he served, the primary mark of someone who serves is love. It's love. Now, before you roll your eyes, read in John chapter 13 with me. Jesus said these words within 18 hours of his death. In 18 hours, Jesus would be dead. So he's putting a lot of weight on what he's saying here. And he says this, a new command I have given you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Do you notice what he said over and over again there? He says it over and over again because he wants to pummel this idea through our selfishness. He wants to pummel it through the rolling of the eyes when we talk about love. He wants to pummel this idea through thinking about ourselves all the time. He says it over and over. Love one another. Love one another. How? How do we love one another? The way that I have loved you. And how did he love you? He gave his life up for you. Anyone else just blown away by that? Jesus loved you so much that he willed himself to die on your behalf. 
And serving others is the crux of the culture of this church we're trying to create here, of this church that God has placed in our hearts and your heart if you're here. (laughs) This is what Jesus is really getting at here, is that the way in which you serve others, or the lack thereof, is the lens through which people can see what God is really like. When you serve people like Jesus is talking about, when you love people like this, that's what can change the world. The whole reason I think Jesus goes so deep on this is that he is aware that a fear of punishment will not motivate someone to good behavior for very long. (laughs) But love, the root of a lifestyle of service, will change the source of behavior permanently. See, Jesus does not hang around and help people like this woman with the issue of blood, which I promise this ties back to. Just give me a minute. He doesn't hang around and help these people like this so that they would become holy. He hangs around with these types of people because he loves them. He doesn't have some ulterior motive. And it is out of this spirit of love and compassion that is what enables them to become holy. It's what enables them to be healed. It's in that space created by love that holiness resides. This is what our church is trying to model. (laughs) These are the ways which we've tried to begin this this church that God led us to call Hope Denver. We're trying to come here and say, not here we are, serve us, (laughs) but here you are. How can we serve you? When you take this approach, it dramatically changes the way in which you do church. (laughs) This is part of the DNA of what God has called us to and what he's wired into us. This is part of who we are. We just gave away $1,300 to help build a clinic for starving children in Guatemala. (laughs) And right now we're trying to figure out how do we give more stuff away? How do we give more resources away? This is why we regularly challenge you to give. (laughs) This is why we challenge you to join a small group and give of your time because it's only in the context of real and raw community that your opportunity to practice this love that I'm talking about really can be authentic. This is why we challenge you to join a team here at the church, because when you commit to something bigger than yourself, that's how you learn to serve. (laughs) And you begin to strip off the selfishness that our commitment-phobic culture leads you to believe is the best way. And you begin to love like Jesus loved. I wonder if the attitude of the world toward the church would be different if we really took Jesus seriously about this command to love one another. Survey after survey that we read, article after article that we read, the attitude of the world towards the church is not very positive. (laughs) And I think it's because the church has done a poor job taking Jesus seriously in modeling this lifestyle of love and service that he did for others. I wonder what the world would say if you had a need like the woman with the issue of blood and no one else could take care of you, you could go to the church on First and Main in whatever city you lived in and they would take care of you. I wonder what the world would be like if that was true. Well, for right now, we're a church here at Evanston University. And we will be that church. See, I believe serving others like this Loving others like this means you cannot just be moved to sympathy for them, but you must be moved to action. Jesus didn't just feel sorry for this woman. He actually healed her. 
So many times I hear people say, I just don't have time. I just don't have the resources to commit. But if you step out with what you do have, and you allow yourself to be interrupted in the things that you want, and you give up some time that you could be doing something for you, then Jesus has found someone that he can trust. (laughs) And the Bible tells you that what you have given away will be added back to you. And Jesus says this attitude towards others, this mentality of giving ourselves away, this is how they will know that you are my disciples. By how well you love others. By how well you represent my love for others. This is why Jesus does not come to us first with condemnation and judgment, but with embrace and acceptance out of love. This is how everyone will know you are my disciples, he said. Not your education or your religion or your holier-than-thou attitude or the fact that we put together a nice service for people to come and see us once a week. That's not how they're going to know you're my disciples. It's your ability to love people for who they are, not what they ought to be. It's your ability to love people from the heart that no matter what I perceive, this is a person that deserves to be loved. When you can do that, That's when serving others becomes not a chore, but a lifestyle, a way of living. Serving becomes not something that you do, but it becomes a defining characteristic of who you are. There was a philosopher and author named Parker Palmer, and he said this, people are not problems to solve. They are mysteries to honor. This is the heart of Jesus. The people who are best at serving others I know that I know do this. They have this innate ability to repersonalize anyone they meet into just that, a person. And because it's because to those people, like they are to Jesus, people are not a project or a problem to solve, but a person created after the image of God. This is the heart of Jesus, that we love one another, that we regard and treat one another as better than yourself, and begin our conversations and perceptions of them as if, as by treating them as if they actually were. <laughs> so I'm going to ask the keys to come back up now. And I want to bring this full circle back to the story of the woman with the issue of blood. <laughs> Jesus again rocks our world here with how he handles this situation. And I think the most powerful practical thing that he shows us here about love and service being connected is here. See, it's important for you to understand this woman lived in a misogynic age where women were not held in high esteem. The fact that she was a woman at all in a crowd of men, they would have said, who is this woman in this council of men? In a misogynic age, it was inappropriate for her as a woman to come into a group of men, even if she was well. In fact, the religious law of the time said a woman with an issue could not touch anyone. And so the story tells us that she told him the whole truth. She told him everything. She tells him about everything she lost. She tells him about the struggle that she had. She tells him about what the religious law of the day that she violated. She tells him how sorry she is and how maybe ashamed that she felt to be that desperate that she would take the action that she did. take notice of what Jesus calls this woman in spite of that. He 
doesn't make her feel like a sinner who has to be saved. He doesn't make her feel as though she has to change everything about how she operates and where she's at in her life right that instant. He doesn't shame her. He doesn't make her feel less than. Instead, he calls her daughter. He calls her by a name of acceptance, of belonging, of family, and of love. Oh, that he calls her his daughter. I think about my daughter, and I think about her life. talking, you identify with the woman from this story. Maybe you came in here tonight with your own issues, with your own problems. It may not be an issue of blood, but it may be an issue of health. It may be an issue of addiction. It might be an issue of finances. Like we talked about, these are all things that can separate and isolate you, just like this woman. 